All right. Let's dive right in. Glad everybody can make it out today. As we get into this, there's some very specific things that we're going to dive headlong into. As we began to transition this series, and over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to show you guys some things that the Holy Spirit's put on my heart the last couple of weeks. Very specific things, some signs of the times things, some things going on in our lives and other folks' lives, and what's going on in the church today. Uh, it corresponds with what we've been teaching on, but it's very important that we get this. And, and the biggest aspect of this that we have to address, first of all, is understanding what salvation is and what salvation is not. And we've talked about this, is what are we saved from? Well, we are saved from death. We are saved from wrath. We are saved from our sins. What Jesus did, the gift that we receive, has set us free from all of that. Physically, we will die. And that would matter if this earth was all that we had, if there was nothing else. If this was all that we had to deal with, this is all that we got, in other words, at the end of this, this is over, and that's it, then it matters. But we have an eternity that we are dealing with. And so when we talk about salvation and, and the glorification of what God has done, that matters. And because of what Jesus has done and the relationship that we have with Him, is that we don't have to live in fear. It has allowed us to have access to God. It's allowed us to have peace with God. The first group of people to live their lives in this way was started at Acts chapter 2 on. Because prior to that, you could never have peace with God, and you certainly did not have access. One man had access to the presence of God. That was it. And he represented you. And if he didn't get it right, he screwed up the entire nation. Imagine if you will. Think about this. We talk about, and we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, that, that salvation had come to the Jews, but they had rejected their Messiah. Well, who rejected him? Was not the early church primarily Jewish? Was. It was the leaders of that nation, the Pharisees primarily. They rejected Messiah, not because they didn't know, but because they did know, and they chose not to accept him because he was not who they wanted. He was who they needed. And as a result of that, condemnation had come on the nation of Israel. And will stay there until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Until they cry out, uh, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they call back and repent for rejecting their Messiah. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the pressure of the high priest. If he truly took seriously what his role was. Because you may or may not know, but there was a period of time where the presence of God had left the temple prior to Christ's birth. That high priest could go in there and he could tap dance and he could do whatever he wanted because the presence of God was no longer there. It was the presence of God that mattered. So you see, this access that we have, this peace that we have is unlike anything experienced in human history. There is not a God that is worshipped that does not require sacrifice. Not one. Every one of them did, including our God, yet our God made the ultimate sacrifice, setting us free. So now we have peace what we read in the old testament is about the nation of israel and the covenant that they were under that hinged upon what they could do because in order to stay faithful to god they had to do a number of things this new covenant hinges upon what jesus has done and everything promised in it is a guarantee from god if we choose to walk in it and that right there my friends is the opportune word do you realize that you can be born again and not walk in the fullness of god think about that for a moment 
In other words, are there things that you're entitled to that perhaps we don't understand or we're just not walking in? Perhaps we like the things of this world a little too much. Perhaps that's what's drawing us away. Perhaps the cares of this world. You see, these are the things that the Spirit of God has been putting on my heart here over the last several weeks. And this is a revelation that is going to come because of what He is doing. Because yes, we are redeemed, but we are not whole. We are not whole because we have chosen not to be whole. We choose to make excuses. We choose to walk in this world and allow it to cling to it and allow us to chase after that. I want to tell you guys a little bit of a story, just to kind of put this in perspective. But, and I've told this story uh, before in the past, but perhaps you weren't here. It's many years ago, my wife and I had rental property, and we had this one little house, and we had this crazy little old lady that lived there. And her name was Chris, right? That's how you know she was crazy. And, uh, and she was nice enough, but she was an odd duck, okay? I mean, just odd as odd could be. But she was nice. And she would bake us cookies every once in a while and then bring them over. And then my wife would have to extract the ones that had hair in them. Just how she was. But she was very nice. And um, she, she worked at the local grocery store. And then she got fired. And when she got fired, she came to tell us what was going on. She just confided as we were, I guess, the only people in her lives, really. And um, she just said, you know, here's what's going on. And I don't know if I'll be able to make rent. And it's wintertime. You know, I'm not throwing a 70-year-old woman out in the streets or 60, whatever she was. I don't even remember. Never, that's never going to happen. And so she's telling us, well, that's okay. But I said, well, what happened at your job? She's like, oh, they just hate me there. And that's why they did this. It's like, oh, okay. And so I was like, well, don't worry about it. We'll work with you. Just do the best you can. And so she would go and she would get a job. But then somebody said something to her that she didn't like and she would quit. And she would just say, you know, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. She got very, very behind. This, this was a perpetual problem that we began to have for weeks and months on end. And finally, we had the conversation with her. It says, you know, sometimes you just have to be a grown-up and take a job you don't like and work it because you have responsibilities. And I said, and the only reason you're able to do that is because I've already told you I'm not throwing you out of the house. I had to be pretty straightforward with her. And... You know, that goes over real well with people sometimes. They really like that kind of stuff. What we didn't know is this gal had a major gambling problem. Had no idea. How we found out is I was, I'd taken a bunch of teenagers to South Dakota for a, a conference. And, and, you know, she, she worked in, uh, like, had patterns that developed. And this house was right across the street from where we lived. And she happened to be gone early that morning, which was unlike her. And so as I'm driving there, my wife calls me and said, you know, she's already gone for the day. I said, well, okay, you know, no big deal. I said, just keep an eye on it. And uh, she hadn't come home, hadn't come home, and she had a dog. And so she went and checked, and the dog was still in the house. Well, like good landlords, we'd given her the only key to the place. So we didn't have a way to get in, so we had to call a locksmith because we needed to get the dog out because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know she'd just run off. I had no idea what was happening. And so we just kind of kept an eye out. And uh, the next day, still hadn't come home. And it's like, okay, that's very odd. And so I told my wife, I said, call the police. File a missing persons report. This is none like her. It's just not how she, she behaved. And so um, I'm traveling back from South Dakota. She does that. I get home very, very late that night. It's a Saturday night. Um, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I get a knock on the door from a police officer. And he's just like, hey, uh, you know, you guys filed this report. We just need to get some more information. 
I'm like, information can get, be had when the sun's up. You know that, right? And uh, I was like, well, did you find her? He's like, no, no, nothing like that. Well, long story short, she'd gone and stepped in front of a train and killed herself. And she killed herself because she'd had financial problems. And her financial problems were caused by this addiction to gambling that she had that she'd refused to deal with. We found this out as we began cleaning out the house because we found all the different casino cards to all the casinos within about a 100-mile radius. And what had happened is, is she'd gotten her last paycheck and went down to Kansas and went to the casino and probably hoping to win it big, and it probably ran out, which is probably what happened every other time, and she just had enough. Now, that's a very sad story, right? I mean, it shook us pretty hard, you know. Did we handle it properly? I don't know. You know, I, I, I still pray about that. But, but what was interesting is after this happened, we get a phone call from her sister who was in New York. And uh, she began kind of telling us the history of the family. And she was trying to help us get the stuff taken care of as best she could. And uh, her sister was a concert pianist. Is that right? Concert pianist traveled all over the world playing piano. Extremely talented. She had a brother who was one of the people who worked on the Hubble telescope. So they come from a family of talent. And we got Chris. And she said Chris had issues. And Chris had cut off communication to the family many, many years before that. And the only way she would speak to her family was through an attorney. And, you know, she just had some issues and they were concerned for and whatnot. But what Chris did not know is that a trust fund had been established for her. And I think when she turned 65, she got access to that. And would have never had to worry about money again. She just couldn't wait it out. And why I'm telling you that is you think about that. At any point in time, that money belonged to her. But because she did not know about it, she allowed the circumstances of the moment to dictate the decision she was going to make. It's the same thing when we talk about this new covenant. And we walk in the fullness of it. The problem is, is we either don't know, or we don't accept, or we just flat out choose to not walk in it. We have to recognize that God's greatest gift to us is His grace. That He's poured this out to us. He's given this to us. That you and I are born again as a result of what He has done. About what He gave and we received. That's first and foremost. And that enters us into this new covenant. And everything that's inside of this should be something that we know and we walk in the fullness of every single day. But with that, is the number two thing that I said last week. The number two most important thing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a, he is God. And we treat Him as if He's some sort of power, some sort of feeling, or a goosebump, or something along those lines. But yet, it is who is inside of us. Look at John chapter 14 for a moment. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This is Jesus' words. Now, when he says this, he says, I will pray. That means he is asking the Father on our behalf. In other words, he's a mediator. 
He's the in-between. And as he's saying this, this new covenant is not inaugurated yet. They could not go to the Father yet. They did not have access to God yet. They were still making sacrifices at that point. Imagine if they had touched an unclean thing. They would have had to have made the same sacrifice that anybody else would, regardless of the fact that Jesus was around them. Didn't matter. And he said, I'm going to give you, or the Father's going to give you another helper, and he will abide with you forever. What does that mean? That means that that Spirit of God is with us. So what do we do with that information? Because this is unlike anything that had existed before. In John chapter 16, so you flip the page a couple of times, you get to verse 5, it says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They're upset that he's leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, he said it is to your advantage. That is something that they would have never accepted as truth. There is no way it is more advantageous for Jesus to leave than for him to be. If he leaves, we don't have him. Could you imagine, if you will, there'd be the ability to ask Jesus any question at any point in time about anything. You're reading through some of the Old Testament. There's this complicated passage that doesn't make any sense. Yo, Jesus, like you wrote this. What's it mean? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But he says it's to your advantage. That should mean something to you and I. That should mean something to us as we begin to walk in our life in the will of God and start following the Spirit of God. It should mean something that it is more advantageous to have Him than Jesus here on this earth. Now look at verse 12. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is telling them, everything that God has given me, I'm giving to you. The Spirit of God is going to come to you. It's to your advantage. So if it's to our advantage, should we understand him? We should certainly understand who he is and what he does and how he moves and how we interact with him and what that means to us as a whole in our lives. As I showed you guys last week, we saw that every aspect of Jesus' life and ministry involved the Holy Spirit. Every part of it. And we want to act like, well, we don't need that. The prophecy about him, John the Baptist and his parents, to his conception, his baptism, it was from that point on that the miracles began to happen. His entire ministry was through the power of the Holy Spirit. His death was through the power of the Holy Spirit. His resurrection was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even after, as he gave commands to his disciples, it was through the Holy Spirit. Every part of it. And if it's that to Jesus, what should it be to us? Because if Jesus needed him, and he's better than we are, then how much more do we? The problem is we don't want him. If we're just being honest. The reason we don't want him is because he may force us to do things that we don't like. And when I say force, I don't mean he pushes you over the cliff. I mean he leads you. You see, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit leaves us without excuse. 
We no longer have an excuse to just go after the things. We can choose to. We can choose to come on a Sunday and worship God. We can choose to stand there and stare at the wall. We can choose to simply sing the song. We can choose to stay home. We can choose to do whatever that we want. But yet, if we're going to be obedient to what God is doing, then the Holy Spirit is always pushing us to truth. And if that is true, then if we ignore it, then we are choosing to reject God. Look at verse 5 again. It says, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where you're going, because I have said these things to you. Sorrows filled your heart. Nevertheless, it is your advantage that I go away. And if I do not, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He promised the Holy Spirit. That was never promised to mankind before. Never. This is new. The whole idea of the church itself was a mystery. That Gentiles could be grafted in and that this entity would be something completely different. But this part here, he promised it. And if it's a promise, then should we expect it? Absolutely. But now we have to define what that means. What does it mean when he sent the Holy Spirit? Well, we see in John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So we see something coming together here. As the Father sent Jesus, in other words, the mission that Jesus was on, under orders of the Father, and everything that he did, I am now sending you. Who is the you? It's the disciples, and we see other places that disciples make disciples, and that they go and do the same thing. These signs will follow them that believe, not the disciples, everyone who believed the message that pre, uh, came before that. So, as the Father sent me, I send you, and then he did something crazy. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Did they receive the Holy Spirit? Absolutely they did. But is that the promise of the Father? See, this is where the misnomer is. Yes, the Spirit of God indwells us. No question. But is that what Jesus was talking about? Look at Luke chapter 24. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. This is wonderful. He's going to tell us exactly what it is. But tarry into the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So what was the promise? It's the coming, the second part. And we'll talk about that in a minute. See, here's the problem. Is that depending on how you grow up in the church, or if you grow up in the church at all, we think that the Holy Spirit makes us weird. That He'll make us do things that we don't want to do. Maybe he'll just make you go crazy and dance a little if you'll... Something like this. And Jim has agreed to demonstrate this live and in person for us today. It's so eerie that his doppelganger was caught on camera at some place we don't know. You're wearing the same shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they're rolled up. Just roll them up, Jim. You got it. Did you bring those shoes? He got second place, so that's why he's not proud of it. So. But that, I mean, seriously, though, when we think about this, and depending on how you've been brought up, when you think about the Holy Spirit falling upon, you think of wild and crazy things going on, forcing you to maybe do that. And some of us have been in services where maybe we've seen a little bit of that. And we've seen some crazy stuff. The Holy Spirit's not crazy. We are. He's not. You see, we have to begin to determine is what was the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
that Jesus was talking about. In other words, when it came to this new covenant, there were things that were implied that we see from prophecy that were going to come. I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. My spirit will be in you. But was that what Jesus was talking about? Well, it can't be if he just defined this for us. Would you agree with that? You see, there seems to be that Jesus was talking about something else because this part of the giving of the Holy Spirit had to go with the, I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, I have sent you. And this is where we don't want to go too deep because we want to stay back from it. We want to stay in our theological bubbles and we don't want a chance that the Holy Spirit might actually get a hold of our lives and lead us to do something that maybe... We don't want to do. I remember as a child, growing up, hearing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know what my biggest concern was? What if He makes me go somewhere or do something I don't want to do? Because all I'm thinking about, like, don't send me to Africa. They don't eat well there. The thing is, guys, is that we are missing a key component. If the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and He was involved in every aspect of His ministry so much so that Jesus could not have done what He did without the power of the Holy Spirit, which sounds like a big statement, but it's very clear through Scripture, how much more are we? Why are we trying to go through this life without Him? Just reject part of this. Ignore it. And so I'm going to begin to introduce this idea today. I'm going to show you guys some things next week. And as I said, there's some very specific things that the Lord has put on my heart because we're at a crossroads as the body of Christ today. Not just this church, but the church as a whole. Because we have tried to do so much under our own power that we have rejected God's word. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. So we read it in Luke. Let's read it in Acts. Verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, he being Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, when will be the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we have to dissect this a little bit. First of all, we see the same thing written in Luke that we see in Acts 1, right? Basically the same thing. Spounded upon a little more greatly in the book of Acts. But should we be surprised because the same guy wrote both books, right? Not a shock that he's kind of repeating himself. But the question comes down to that if Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, why would he say it? Is there anything that Jesus said that didn't come through? No, nothing. Even the destruction of the temple came through. Everything that Jesus said happened. So we know that they received the Holy Spirit at that moment. That is a part of the covenant. But another part of the covenant is the ability to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, why would we want that? Because we are not saved to go to heaven. We are saved to replicate ourselves and to work the work of the ministry. In Ephesians, we see that these things were given to equip the saints for the work 
of the ministry. You notice it doesn't say that some are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, all of that, to do the work of the ministry. Did you notice that? It says to equip the saints. Well, who are the saints? Wave at me. It's all y'all. Well, if it's for you, and these things were given as gifts, then why would we think the Holy Spirit would be any different? See, here's the problem. We just want to go through life. We just want to exist. We want some of Jesus. We don't want all of Jesus. We want His benefits. We don't want Him. I'll expand on that more next week, but I'm telling you, church, there's a gap. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Did they? Yeah. You saw, you see later on, we're not going to read through all of this. We see later on that the Spirit of God came upon them. We see the whole thing, the tongues of fire. They spoke another tongue. People heard it. They're like, what is that? Oh, some thought they were drunk. And Peter stands up and begins to declare, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he declares the prophecies, the words of God. You notice he didn't just go off on some tangent. What did he do? He told them, in your presence has been fulfilled the prophecy that Joel has spoke. What were they doing? Being obedient to Jesus. Here's the question. Do we know that they expected any of that to take place? It doesn't say that. What were they doing? Being obedient. Did Jesus say, listen, if you'll just stay there for a few days, it'll all be over. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Well, for how long? That's what we'd be asking. How long? How long do we have to wait? I got things to do. I got places to go. He said, wait. They waited. Did they realize the day of Pentecost was going to be the day of Pentecost? Probably not. We don't know. It doesn't say. But we know this. Jesus breathed on them. To receive the Holy Spirit. They received it. And Jesus didn't get confused to tell them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Can't be talking about the same thing. You see, what happened is we were talking last week, is that the Holy Spirit was involved in every aspect of Jesus' life, his ministry, prophecies, all the way to the end, the resurrection. And then the last thing he declared, it was by the Holy Spirit to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. But Jesus isn't done. You see, what we don't realize is that the separation of these two things and the necessity of these two things involve Jesus as well. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. It says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. So who is talking here? This is John the Baptist. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who will do it? The one that comes after him, which is who? It was Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 8. It says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who will do it? Jesus will do it. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answers, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in John chapter 1, verse 33, it says, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So who is he? Jesus. And then what is this talking about? What we just read in Acts chapter 2. So who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. So his ministry is not over. He baptizes those who are obedient to his word in the Holy Spirit. 
And this is where we get confused. The Bible talks about three baptisms. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to Christ, that we are born again, saved, redeemed, set free. We walk in that fullness, and then we get baptized in water. That is when a disciple of any shape, size, form, doesn't matter, dunks you in water. It's a symbol, it's a sign that you have entered into this new covenant. But the third part, the part that we seem to not care about, is the baptize, uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, done by Jesus Himself. Is that not what it said? Of course it is. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This word baptism just simply means immersion. We always assume it means water, but that's not what it's talking about. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We are talking about salvation. The question is, who does it? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us this. Whereas the body is one in as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are of one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. Who baptized us into the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit did. This is what has set us free. This is what has made us whole. And a lot of us will stop right there. Because, man, I'm in. I'm good. I got the ticket. I don't have to worry about it. But why was Jesus so adamant to wait? See, this is where the selfishness comes in. Once I'm in, I don't care who follows. If you care, you'll do something about it. I know people who have devoted their lives to sharing the gospel. And they've done it one of two ways. Either they have gone out entered into ministry, if you will, and intentionally shared the gospel. They either put on big meetings, sometimes they do it in the streets, sometimes they do it in an airplane, sometimes they do it at a restaurant. Just depends, doesn't matter. They're going to do it. And the other ones, and this is the crazy part, is they're a regular Joe who has a job, and they go to work every day, and they share the gospel every moment they have. They pivot their conversations to the things of the gospel. When they go to a restaurant, they tip extravagantly and look for opportunities to share the gospel. In other words, every moment of their life is an intentionality of a looking to share the gospel. Those are two people, two different types of people, that may or may not exist around you today, but do they exist in you? You see, I've, I, again, I'm sharing you guys stories from my life that I want you to understand is that that is crucial. But can you just get up and give a glorious sermon and have people just fall out and give their lives to Christ? Maybe. But will they stick? Billy Graham used to talk about that when he would go into the city, if he'd come back years later, if 5% of the people that bowed their head and raised their hand and all that kind of stuff actually were born again, he considered that a win. 5%. I don't like those odds. But that was a win. Why? Because emotionally we'll come to God, but we don't bow our hearts. You see, when you enter into covenant with God, under the Old Testament, what did you do? Man, it was tough. Because you know what you had to do? You had to reject all of your past. Where I was from, the gods that I worshipped, the sacrifices that I made. And then I had to come in. 
And I had to devote myself to God. And I'd have to get cleansed. I'd have to be mikvahed. Sometimes multiple times. And then if you were a man, it's time to break out the scissors. Listen, if they still did that today, we would have no false converts. Just put it that way. If you sign up for that, you mean it. And then they would commit a tithe to the temple. And they commit to bring their first fruits all the time. Every time that they would have an increase, they would bring the increase to the Lord. I mean, this is a major change. So they were serious. But what do we do today? I would just say prayer. What if I told you that you weren't saved for you? And if you believe that you are, then every day you're spitting in the face of Jesus. I mean, think about this. If it's true that God created everything, and He gave all for you, and He willingly laid down His life for you, that if you were the only one, He laid down His life for you. But we don't want to be obedient to what He said. What a spit in the face. I mean, you've probably experienced this at some point in another life where you have done so much for somebody, and it's just like they take it for granted. They just don't care. We call those children, generally. But I mean, you may have had other people in your life where they will leave you in fact i was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine just the other day probably two three weeks ago and he's struggling he's really struggling and i'll tell you why because and this isn't like because pastors are great or anything like that they screw up too okay but it's like you give to yourself constantly you're always giving of yourself if people need you you're there whatever it is that's going on and it seems to me and i was told this 20 years ago is that those who you do the most for are generally the first ones to leave you. And I'm like, that's crazy. How? And yet, it seems to be true. And this pastor is struggling because he's got families that he has done everything he can possibly do for them. To love them, to be there when they need them, help them, do these things. And then they just reject him at the moment's notice because they didn't like something that was going on. That's bad. Do the same thing to Jesus. Yeah, Lord, okay. I thank you for saving me. Now, get back here. This world's crazy. It sucks. I don't want to be here no more. Go ahead and return. Take us out of here. How selfish of us. You see, we're talking about walking in the fullness of this covenant. And with that, in order to do that, you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 again. This is when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them as divided tongues as a fire once sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, just like Jesus said, something took place here. And this is going to be kind of two parts, if you will. Because I want to show you guys next week something that was a Something that the Holy Spirit is like, a, I'll, I'll call it a vision because I don't know what else to call it. But it, it caught my attention. I've shared parts of this with some people. But it really caught my attention. Because there's a passage that says that they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And if I went around and asked each person individually, we'd all say, well, that's not me. That's not me. But how do we know if our hearts are drawn to Him? In other words, all I am is yours. The disciples gave up everything to follow Jesus. 
Jesus gave up everything to save us. In the Old Testament, they would give up everything to become one in, in relationship with God, in, in, in Yahweh. But what do we do? We say a prayer. And that's it. So where do we go from here? Next week, I'm going to show you guys some of the things that the Holy Spirit showed me. We're going to talk about this baptism in the Holy Spirit thing. But what I'm telling you is that we need to begin to check our hearts. Because with what I'm going to share with you guys next week, many of us have prayed for revival for years. Some of us have experienced revival. And revival is really a repentance of the heart, coming back to God. And many of us are praying for it. Because we want to see lives transformed. But the truth is, is that some people, while they say they want it, really don't. Because if revival came, it would transform everything in your world. And the truth is, we like things just the way they are. Why did the Pharisees reject Messiah when he showed up? It wasn't that they didn't know. They liked things just the way they were. They wanted to change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would illuminate your truth to us. You convict our hearts of the things that we need to change. That we won't be selfish, but that we will begin to walk in your power, in your fullness, in everything that you have. And so, Lord, I just, I just thank you for all that you've done and continue to do. And, Lord, I pray that you just get a hold of us, shake us, make us new make us clean that we will walk in the fullness and the power of your spirit to be of service to you we're so grateful for all that you've done us in jesus name amen god bless you guys have a great week see you soon i sing praises i give you honor